Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast which we disassemble a film from the Marvel Cinematic Universe into one-minute segments and then examine it in obsessive and occasionally hilarious detail. I'm Kyle Olson from the Swashbuckling Ladies Debate Society podcast. Hey, and I'm Rob Cabosco and Kyle. Yes, sir. Another episode of The History of Cheerleading. Oh, okay. So, uh, now this is amazing. I didn't know what the whole story of this was. You actually have to go back to where collegiate sports came from. And this goes to like colleges? the 18th century. Yes. Well, okay. colleges, but what brought on, they were places of learning. Where did this, you know, these these extramural, you know, uh, activities come from? So, uh, this actually goes back to the late 18th century. American Revolutionary War happens. And in these early places of higher learning students would get frustrated. They were getting treated harsh from their teachers and their response was was to basically act out. They would burn buildings down. They would riot. They would do all this stuff. These, these activities, collegiate sports, grew out of this idea that the students at the time needed a way to vent. They needed a way to, to put their energies into some other things that were more productive. And so basically, long story short, we get collegiate sports. So... Uh, 1869, the United States witnesses its first intercollegiate football game. Uh, this is between Princeton and Rutgers, and this is the the basis of the first cheer, Sis Boom Rah, which is takes on grows in popularity. We go back uh, a little bit later, 1877. Princeton has a group of men that are formerly called the Princeton Cheer, the Princeton Cheer Squad, uh, and then we see this all towards the end of the 19th century. Cheerleading actually becomes a thing. Women are not permitted to participate in cheerleading until 1923 at the University of Minnesota. Hmm. 1940s, as happened to a lot of things, men are now drafted into World War II. Women take the role that a lot of these men did. And we know this from a lot of different stories. Women were able to step up and do a lot of the things that men were doing at the time. Rosie the cheerleader. Ro no, ro uh, well, yes. The rip yes, there we go. Not nice. Um, so d does all this. This 40s leads into the 50s. And now we see what is the, the beginnings of what we think of as modern cheerleading. Uh, the National Football League. Uh, the first team to have cheerleaders was the Baltimore Colts. And then in the 70s, it just completely changed. And obviously, everything became all about the sex appeal and the ability to dance and to do all of the stuff that comes with that. So, um, and then the real tipping point for it is 1976, Super Bowl X, when people were widely seen, people watching the, the game uh, were actually able to see cheerleading in all its glory at that time. So, why do I bring this up? <laughs> is it that you're about to tell us that former President George W. Bush was also a cheerleader? Oh, we <laughs> could get into that. <laughs> that old no, Yalesman. No. That's right. <laughs> I wasn't even gonna go there. <laughs> yes, I mean, yes, no, that's was. not why. That's not why you're bringing that up. That's not why I'm bringing that up. No, no. Obviously, this minute, as we'll get into mm -hmm. with our with again with our continuing special guest, um, there's not a whole lot to talk about uh, except for cheerleading. That's right, because uh, we're we're going to uh, we're going to see uh, quite the. Uh... Competition? No, not competition. We're going to see quite the exhibition here uh, in minute seven of Iron Man Two from 2010, directed by Mr. John Favreau. Uh, joining us uh, as he was in minute six, in minute seven, here is Mr. Andy Nelson from the next reel. Why, hello again. There you go. Now Alice. we're allowing you to talk. <laughs> I know. I was like, to, how long is this restrain myself? <laughs> No, that's uh, very so, exciting. Yeah. It's very exciting, and I'm looking forward to chatting about Minute 7 here with you. 
yeah, it should, it should be exciting. So uh, we pick up where we left off, which is um, Iron Man is on stage uh, at as we as we pull back to reveal he's at the Stark Expo. Uh, so we have uh, we got the we got pyro, we got the American flag, we got screaming people. I mean, like it's obviously uh, he was expected. I think we can safely say that uh, that people were were anticipating his arrival because uh, there are a line of backup dancers dressed just like Iron Man. Sort of, so, um, sort of. <laughs> uh, their their outfits are a lot more revealing than uh, the Iron Man armor. Um, this their outfits remind me of the complaints about female superhero outfits that we had mm-hmm. before, like the Wonder Woman film came out. When right? they they said it was always just designed to be skimpy versions of what a male superhero costume looked like, and and these, I mean, this if there had been an Iron Man or an Iron Woman paired in the films uh like in the comics this is what she probably would have been wearing and i think i haven't done the math yet but i think there are more women on screen here than will be in featured roles in the next 10 mcu movies <laughs> is that i think if someone do the math i think you can yeah i think uh, yeah. more than all released <laughs> yes all yeah Got a long way to go boys oh. uh Anyway, so then uh, as, as we're going, we see that uh, the stage uh, is actually a Stark technology invention as well, because as Iron Man is standing there, then the arms we saw in Iron Man 1 come out and start disassembling the armor and taking them out, doing it much quicker than we've ever seen it done before. So I think this is one of the innovations of the Mark IV armor is that uh, he, got, he figured out how to get out of it and also to look pretty damn good coming out of it too because uh, his suit looks immaculate <laughs> yeah, this is this is definitely a uh production uh quality that was built into this as this is happening we cut to an establishing shot right there's a wide mm-hmm. shot of the outside and we actually not only do we get the establishing view we also get a little title stark expo in flushing new york mm-hmm. a lot of stuff packed into this this shot yeah. Um, for those of you who are not familiar, Flushing, it's a neighborhood in the north central portion of the New York City borough of Queens. Uh, it's the fourth largest central business district in New York City. The main thing it's known about is the site of the 1964 New York World's Fair, which we'll talk about in a future yep. minute more, we more in detail. But um, there's the three big things that you will see in this shot that are well-known landmarks even today are the Unisphere, mm-hmm. which was this spherical stainless steel representation of the Earth. Uh, that is located there. It was designed by a man by the name of Gilmore Clark. And again, this was part of that World's Fair um, area. And then the New York State Pavilion, which is comprised of several different towers. You can see that clearly in the shot as well. It's got the two aircraft lights on it um, right next to where this pavilion is. And for those of you who are fans of a particular movie involving aliens and men in black, (laughs) you you will remember (laughs) those towers quite well. That's right. The other thing that you can't miss <laughs> is the most peculiar product placement I think I've seen yet. Yeah. <laughs> other than maybe those Coke machines somewhere in the middle of season two. Uh, yeah, that's right. We we see a massive double uh, promotion for Kodak. Yeah. Right. In right. the middle of this giant glowing uh, Kodak sign. And some of you who are of a certain age probably don't even know what Kodak is. Right. <laughs> so I so that sad was to even hear you say that. I, I think know. it's true, though. I mean, at this point, yeah. they're probably making more film for motion picture cameras than actual right. cameras in people's hands. Well, and this was a period where 
films largely were still getting filmed on film, but mm-hmm. there was definitely, I mean, starting a few years before this, starting the digital crossover. And so we're right at that period where we're starting to have a, a crossover between a lot more digital and a lot more film. And I don't know, actually, if this was filmed on Kodak stock or not. I would assume so, <laughs> since they have this giant plug here. They, they wrote assume, a check. So. Yeah, they, they obviously <laughs> had that. So I would assume that that was part of the deal. Like, they probably said, oh, we're going to shoot on digital and just to get Kodak to say, oh, you know what? We'll give you it for free if you just put a Kodak thing in the in the expo. And that's probably kind of how that thing worked. So I, tr- I tried to see if there was yet. Yeah, no, I couldn't find anything specific on it, but that is quite the plug because you mm-hmm. can't not miss it. Um, and then just really within the same two seconds, you have to, this is one of those things that, that if you blink, you're going to miss it. Um, we cut then back to an, an interior shot, like you said, with, uh, with Tony Stark. And then this cuts to a um, sort of a, a low sequence uh, where you can see some of the pavilions. And if you stop at just the right moment, there's one pavilion that you can clearly see the name on. And that name is Hammer. <gasps> which I found interesting. I, I think that'll be important later. Yeah, I wonder it what that could mean. Mm-hmm. That's certainly nothing that I remember from the, from the first film. So, <laughs> yeah, right? mm, That's so. true. But, you know, I doing some uh, digging on this the location here, I do mm. find it exciting that this they are being moving forward in the series they're they're mm-hmm. considering these sorts of things and when they actually do have the New York Expo that we see later in Captain America it is mm-hmm. in the same place like they set it right. up in the same yes. place and yeah. actually even in Spider-Man Homecoming I believe they're actually driving down the freeways Peter and and Happy are driving and you can see the Unisphere off oh, the side of the freeway yes. yeah. um and actually not too far from here, in fact, just kind of across uh, a few blocks of the park is City Field, where you actually have the um, the empty ballpark in uh, toward the beginning of Avengers Endgame. Wow, folks! I don't know if you know the the uh, amazing thing that just happened here, but I need to, we need to take a, a step for those of you who are fans of Marvel Movie Minute season one. Andy <laughs> just mentioned movies from the future of the MCU. I know, right? Hey, Man, dude, I can break all my did. old rules. <laughs> That's right. I say I and I'm I couldn't be more excited about it because you're embracing the new That's <laughs> gestalt right. here on while Marvel I can. Movie Minute. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's fantastic. I mean, and it's it's a very big area. I mean, Daredevil was nearby, Punisher mm-hmm. was nearby. So there's a lot of things in this particular area. So it's just exciting to see such a kind of a, right. a Marvel heavy location in right, this particular even, moment that I get Peter to talk Parker's about. from Queens too. So yeah, yeah, right around the thing. Uh, so then we we have a uh, uh, we see uh, Tony Stark stripped down. All his, his his outer shell pulled away, as we'll see. It. Like he's a raw nerve now, just like he will be for the rest of this movie. And oh, as just... egotistical as ever. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, like, look at that smirk on his yeah. face when he gets like, unmasked. He's, he's and, like, but that awesome, folks. What's interesting about this is think about this is the Tony that we saw in the deleted or the kind of the unused opening, right? right. Mm-hmm. Like this yeah. is potentially Tony with a hangover. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, now on stage. Who's just reveling in all of this glory? And yeah, I just, and every time me. I see this Tony, I'm like, this fits so perfectly with Robert Downey Jr. Yeah, when, and we see when we get to the next minute where he actually gives his speech, we're going to see this is uh, where Tony's at mentally and emotionally. <laughs> yes. You, you know what else I love about this too is, is, as you were making the joke about, his suit has re- remained perfectly pressed yeah. within the. There's clearly a steamer. 
built into the Mark IV suit, right? But here's the thing. He hasn't said a word, right? And the costume design of this tells so much about his attitude. That is a ridiculously tailored double-breasted suit with double vents on the back, which if if you're familiar with the sport coat, Double vents are like that. Those came back a few years ago. You'd usually have the single vent, which is what I'm talking about is the separation, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Double vent. And he's got bell bottoms on. <laughs> the I slacks am. for this. I mean, that just says, that just says, well, here I am. <laughs> well, Rob, also uh, your your man, Bo Brummel, would not I be know. approving of this suit. Why? Oh, well, many reasons. <laughs> <laughs> the buttons. There's no buttons. Oh, yes. Yeah. Good call. <laughs> right? oh. Call back. Oh, my goodness. Yes. Yeah, I, I love it. I mean, I think that it's such a sharp looking thing because it's, it's very futuristic in still yeah. being a tuxedo because it's like, how is that staying closed? Like, he's using that magic new technology called Velcro. I mean, I don't know. I'm assuming. Callback, you just did. That's amazing. Uh-huh. Um, no, and, and plus even the pattern. I mean, it's it's a it's an irregular pinstripe because mm-hmm. it's got yeah. very, I mean, this, this whole visual just drips of attitude, machismo. You know what you're going to get yep. from this Tony Stark. Shout out to the customers because totally. they did a yeah. nice job there. It tells a lot just by seeing that. And speaking of costumes, <laughs> we then cut to the Ironettes. Yes, the Ironettes. Uh, so I, I assume. Uh, do we? Uh, are we assuming that Tony Stark uh, handpicked these people to perform? You know, uh, it's not that far from Iron Man, the first yeah. film, where he would probably like. I, I assume that there was some choosing of like the women that he had on the plane mm-hmm. at the beginning of Iron Man. Uh, I, I feel like we're not too far away where there might have been like some headshots that he looked through and just kind of picked them off of those. So yeah. I, I don't put it past him. Uh, but uh, but we actually I know who these women are. These are actually some very, very hardworking women because uh, dancing is not an easy thing. Uh, and so uh, they were they uh, were given uh, two days of rehearsal. Uh, and then they shot this over two days, uh, so that was uh, that was the, how much time they had to get this down in perfect and and not you know uh, make, have to make Robert Downey Jr. have to wait. Um, so the so the Ironettes are uh, and I say I tried to get as definitive list as I could and little some of the things they did. So I'm going to go through them rather rapidly. Uh, we have Melanie Brown, who was a former cheerleader for the San Diego Chargers. We have Gina Cantrell, who is a cheerleader for the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Phoenix Suns. Woo, shout Yay. out to Phoenix. Uh, she's also on The Voice and Happy Endings. Uh, Sandy Colton was a former dancer for So You Think You Can Dance. Uh, Alice Ollie, cheerleader for the LA Lakers. Uh, Hannah Douglas, model dancer. She danced with Beyonce. So respect. And Nadine Ellis, uh, she was an actress and former member of the Pussycat Dolls. And she has gone on to have quite a career. She has 71 credits on IMDb, including episodes of 24, Reno 911. She was in Tropic Thunder uh, with Robert Downey Jr. himself. Uh, she, did, she was in Hairspray and has done episodes of Lucifer and Shameless. Whoa. Crystal Ellsworth, model and actress. She was in Pop Star, Never Stop, Never Stopping, which if you have not <laughs> seen, you badly need to see because it's really good. She also danced in La La Land, Now You See Me Too, and on Glow. Another great show if you haven't watched, you need to check out. Uh, Renee Herlocker was a former Denver Broncos cheerleader and also worked on uh, for Spike and for MTV. She models for Red Bull. Uh, Annika Inhat was a cheerleader for the LA Lakers. 
Jennifer D. Johnson is a professional dancer. Jill Ann Pineda Arnold uh, has retired from dancing. Uh, she uh, doing this is her one and only role. She is now teaching yoga in Laguna Beach. So check her out and tell her that you loved her in Iron Man too. Victoria Parsons was a Victoria's Secret model, appropriately. Uh, she was also a backup dancer for musicians like Rihanna and has appeared on Glee and 90210. Lindsay Rothenberg was a cheerleader for the LA Clippers. Jenny Robinson was a professional dancer for NASCAR and Monday Night Football. Kyla Zamora is a model and dancer. Brooke Lang was on Deal or No Deal and also danced in the immortal classic Gigli. Uh, <laughs> and finally, Rachel Brooke Smith was in uh, Burlesque, The Nice Guys, How I Met Your Mother, and the, what I'm sure she has framed on her wall, The Squeakwool. <laughs> so thank you to all these hardworking women who, uh, who were appearing as the Ironettes. Uh, you you have lived on in MCU infamy. Well, and here you are, and here we yes, are, indeed. like giving you your due and your props no. because no, like you said, one okay, that's incredible that they had two days to to learn this, mm -hmm. and this is a huge set piece. I mean, here's the deal: when you're making a movie, there's a lot of scenes that are you know a few people in a room with your your technicians. This is in front of a huge crowd with yeah. the primary, the primary principal actor of the movie. That's right. You do yeah. not want to be the one that slips on the ridiculous Ex shoes they right, put you in. Right. Exactly. Can I just so, say how impressive it is that, like, I know how hard you worked on the last show or the last season to mm -hmm. find like all the different names of people who were in scenes and stuff. The fact that you have all the Ironet dancers uh, <laughs> identified, I love that. That's just so exciting. And, I hope uh, I got them all. I hope I got them all because I mean they're working hard here. And then Iron Man it looks two like has, there's 16 is, on stage, and it sound I, I, okay. I lost count, but it sounded like you had 16 <laughs> names in there. Uh, the uh, the Iron Man two credits are much better. And I think maybe that's nice. because they shot in L.A. as opposed to shooting in Canada. I don't know. But oh, it's maybe. much easier. And maybe because, you know, Ironette, they're all there on stage at the same time as opposed to Soldier, uh, yeah, which right. would appear in multiple you know things across the way. So I'm hoping that we'll be able to identify uh, the, the small but incredibly important players as we go through Iron Man 2 as, as the Ironette dancers are. Awesome. And we get a lot of Americana here. We do. There's, there's, a, lot there's a lot of flag. A lot of jingoism. I mean, patriotism going on right there's, here. There's, yeah. I, well, let me look at it. This is part of it. I know, it's part of the story. Know, yeah. There's an expo. We've yep. seen the attitude. We, yeah. And, you know, just all of this, the sex appeal, everything. Yeah. It's setting the stage for, I'm sure, what's going to be a very humble and thought-provoking speech. Right. By Tony sure. Oh, absolutely. Did you know if they actually filmed this in New York? Because I know a lot no. of the expo was filmed in, uh, I can't remember the name of the place, but uh, it was a, a different place. It was the visual Perform School of Visual and Performing Arts, the Ramon C. Cortinas. Um, but I don't know like how much of this was actually done there, or if this was just all stage work. From what I can gather, this is all soundstage. Yeah, this this okay. whole sequence was shot on Sundays because I think probably because of the amount of control they needed. Yeah, it would yeah, be yeah. just because you have special effects and you have dancing. I mean, like all this stuff going on, so you have you need very precise camera angles and stuff too, and plus getting into a ton of people. Well, and that's, that was my next question is like, I wonder looking at these crowds, like how much of this crowd is actually there? Like, is, is there a point where we're looking at like digital fill-ins, like moving behind, behind like that first group True. that's illuminated? Yeah, because obviously we're seeing a ton of camera moves, which means cranes, which means a huge amount of area for the camera to be able to swing around. And it's, uh, night, I think, it's night work, which requires, yes. well, I mean, I don't know. Well, on stage yeah, it, it doesn't have to be, but still, right. yeah. 
Uh, yeah, I think we're going to see in the next minute, uh, there's going to be a, a shot from the stage and then we're going to see uh, more of the crowd. And so we can kind of, uh, you know, zoom in close and see how many, at what point do they become fake people, which yeah. fake people will be a recurring theme here through Iron Man 2 as we get into the next <laughs> couple of minutes too. Uh, but will like, there all be these things ben are being Stiller. established. <laughs> we shall see. Uh, <laughs> They're not all going to be Ben Stiller. No, one of my, one of my favorite they can't moments, all be Ben Stiller. That was one of my favorite uh, moments I learned in, uh, in last season. <laughs> That's like, right. Wow, that is nuts. Just and for those of you who nuts. skipped uh, season two of our Incredible Hulk, now you have a reason to go back because you're like, why are they talking about Ben Stiller? Well, exactly. He find out somewhere in the latter half of the movie. <laughs> you know, I do, I, I just want to call out the dancers here. Like there mm-hmm. is, especially when they kick in, there is definitely a vibe that they're pulling from the Rockettes, which, yes. uh, which I just, I was like, oh, I wonder, you know, is there anything about the Rockettes? And I don't really think so. But I mean, the Rockettes, I don't think I realized that they've been around for, at this point, nearly 100 years. They were founded in 1925. Yeah. And uh, they're still performing. And But, but was it interesting? Because I looked at this, and I'm like, this is a nicely kind of diverse group of dancers that we have here. The Rockettes weren't. <laughs> for a very long time <laughs> and it wasn't until 85 uh, that they actually had their first uh, non-white rocket and it's been kind of a slow uh, slow road ever since but um, but I appreciate that they are kind of shifting but I know I, I, I just I, the, I was thinking uh, the rockets as I watched this and I had to do no it. I think you're absolutely right the, yeah. and the rockets are actually very strict about who they let in because I actually know a woman who tried out for the rockets she was a professional dancer and went on to do it and she did not get in because she was three-fourths of an inch too short. Really? Yeah. Yes. They're very specific about like how they want they want uniformity across the way. So that there would be a dip as the people were looking across the, all the heads. They're like, nope. Yeah. You're out. Right. Them, well, they didn't have a f- uh, they're African American until eighty-seven, and they only yeah. just hired somebody with a visible disability last yeah. year. Twenty nineteen was the first time. Uh, so it is an organization that is very slow to change. Yeah. I actually remember growing up in, in uh, Pennsylvania in the 80s. I can remember the commercials for the Rockettes, and I remember mm. what a huge deal that was in the mid-80s. Mm. Like, that was a huge deal that they allowed someone who was not white into the Rockettes. Yeah. I mean, My memory of the Rockettes largely is the uh, the commercials for legs pantyhose. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sad to say, but yeah. She's got legs and it shows. Oh, yeah. legs, the Penny Hose. That's a kick out of legs, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, we killed, we crushed that minute. That's yeah. it. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> where, after a legs name drop, where else do you go? <laughs> right. So, uh, and where else you could go would be to uh, your podcatcher of choice to leave us a review. That's right. Um, if you're enjoying what we're doing here, if you're doing what we, we've done, what Andy started. What we uh, you know have completely destroyed and rebuilt uh, the the strange <laughs> like version going phoenix, forward. Right. Yeah, like a phoenix. Uh, five stars for phoenix, right? Oh yeah, um, yeah. So I you know uh, we we appreciate it wherever you have it you want on iTunes or um, Pocket Cast wherever you get your uh, your um, podcasts. Wherever you get your kicks. Us, yeah, that's right. Uh, Route sixty six. No, um, leave us a review. Uh, let us know how, how we're doing and what we can do better. So uh, thank you all for joining us. Uh, we'll be back here for uh, minute eight, where we maybe we're going to see a a kinder, humbler Tony Stark take the stage uh, and deliver his Tony talk. So join us back here for minute eight. Enough said. Bye. Bye.